All right, peeps, on today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of hot nonsense from YouTube. Lots of gems, lots of Shaolin resurrections, and lots of... Today, on Netflix, the death of Bruce Lee. Never happened. Let's get to it. And every day, I practice martial arts. <laughs> Yo, Mikey, how you doing, man? Hey, Seagong, how are you? Good, good, good. Here we are for another episode of the Kung Fu Genius Podcast. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, dun, dun, dun. By the way, if you guys want to support us, the best way to support us is on Patreon. For as little as $5 a month, you get access to episodes early. You get a pipeline to get questions on the episodes. Um, and I also put my Instagram subscriber stuff on there, too, so you don't have to subscribe to me on Instagram to get those uh, weekly Wing Chun tips. You can get them all on Patreon. And higher levels of support have all sorts of different goodies and things like that. So anyway, that's the best way to support your favorite Kung Fu podcast. So well, there's the OnlyFans as well, but we'll, we'll talk about on that. We're still, build, we're still building the OnlyFans. We, we need to build up a solid a library of content for OnlyFans. <laughs> yeah, a very, very, very specific kind of library. That's right. So, uh, Mikey, <laughs> What you got for me? Hey, everyone, just want to let you know Wing Chun Illustrated is now offering. All right, so let's just go straight off the bat with a Patreon question. Patreon question. Jonathan Martinez. Yo. Um, apologies, we're kind of paraphrasing a little here, but basically Jonathan Martinez would like to know if there are any of Lung Ting's books that you would recommend, like, even now. Even now. Even now that I left Sifu Lung Ting so many years ago. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, of course. <laughs> if you follow the normal martial arts kind of storyline, once you leave your teacher or uh, uh, you leave a style, then you can no longer read their books and or promote their books or uh, recommend their books. No, no, no. I'm a... I'm, as I've talked about multiple times on this podcast, I'm a kind of reading nerd. I'm always reading all sorts of stuff, um, not just martial arts stuff, but um, even within, you know, reading about Wing Chun, I like to read everything. I mean, I get my hands on all the Wing Chun books I can get, even those from lineages that already in advance, I know, like, I'm not super big fans of how they do things, but still, you know, what I find that's interesting when you read books uh, from styles that are different from yours or different from the way you learn it is that sometimes you'll actually see certain things that you do in that book represented in a different way, which gives you kind of a stronger understanding of how you can contextualize this thing that you do. And then mm -hmm. sometimes you'll look at the differences and then you can see whether these differences are actually um, important or they're just stylistic or whatever. Uh, and so for that reason I would recommend it doesn't matter who it is you should if you're serious about Wing Chun you should read everyone's book and you should also or I should say in particular you should read the books of people that you disagree with because I think that that's the only way that you strengthen your argument or you understand your point better or you also find out that you may that they may also have a really good point on some things. Maybe you don't like the way they execute it, but maybe they explain something interesting. So like Bruce Lee said, all knowledge is ultimately self-knowledge, right? So that's my big throat clearing about, you know, whether you should even just buy books from other Wing Chun lineages or whatever to begin with. Of course, if you can afford it, if you have the means, get all the Wing Chun books. And don't forget, if you go to Amazon, uh, when you look for a book, don't forget to scroll underneath to look for the used versions of those books. There's so many times where I'm like, man, I really want to read this book. Ah, this book's like 50 bucks, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a book I'm not sure about, all right? If it's a book written by me that's $49.95, say like my wooden dummy book, that is severely underpriced for the amount of info in there. Available at the pro shop, kids. Right, but if I see an older Wing Chun book that's rare and then it's got some ridiculous price on it and it's like, you know, it's an 80-page book and they want, you know, 50, 60 bucks for it. I'm like, eh. But occasionally you'll go and you'll look in the used section on Amazon and you'll find that book for like five bucks at some bookshop in Arizona. Yeah. So, um, so it's actually quite easy to find a lot of these older books at a cheaper price, even on, on the big giant of Amazon. So um, yeah, I would definitely recommend Siva Larington's book. So his, his first book, his first big book is Wing Chun Kun. Wing Chun Kun is like his big tome about Wing Chun. It's an overview of the whole style. 
it's uh, it shows the first form and the second form, like like the photos for the complete form, and then it shows highlights from Buji and Wooden Dummy, including Grandmaster Yipman performing the Wooden Dummy, just like a highlight. Uh, I think it shows the fifth set or something like that, and then it shows some applications, but it has like. You know, uh, Yip Man's story, the history of Wing Chun, uh, which is really the fairy tale. Lang Teng's back story. Obviously, he talks about his own association. And then, like, Siunam Tao Chumkyu, Buji, there's Chi Sao, there's applications, and kind of a little overview on the weapon. So it's kind of like, that's the book you want to get the overview on the whole Wing Chun system. There's a glossary in the back. Uh Siva Langting very clearly copied Masoyama's This Is Karate with his Wing Chun Kun book, which I don't find like a bad thing. I'm not like, dude, that's not call, calling him out. Uh, this Is Karate was kind of like the big tome in that day. Uh, and when you look side by side, if you take a This Is Karate and a Wing Chun, Siva Langting's Wing Chun Kun, you'd find the the, the the color swatch is almost identical. Uh, it's got the same type, type, type of dust jacket. Uh, it's a hardcore, uh, hardcover, same amount of pages, mm -hmm. same kind of style. Uh, Sifu Langting, I think, took some uh, inspiration from Masoyama uh, in more ways than one, maybe also personally, too, in, in, in not the best ways. Um, but I think you don't really have a complete Wing Chun book collection if you don't have Wing Chun Kun, because that was like the first big book on Wing Chun. Right. And that came out way back in 76, right? There's some people nowadays, I've read some books, they like, kind of criticize it like, oh, it's, it's like a lot of, it's a big book, but it doesn't have a lot of substance, right? Um, and of course, not like these new Wing Chun books that have all of these details and all that kind of stuff, right? But actually, that's not entirely true. First of all, the book is supposed to be an overview. So it's, it's kind of weird when someone criticizes a book that is an overview on the entire Wing Chun system as then not going into, you know, razor level detail about like nuances of Bong Sao when that's not the point of the book to begin with, right? So I think it's like kind of a weird, unfair criticism. Um, but it's a classic, and there are lots of gems in that book, even on the theoretical side, how Wing Chun works and so on. So I would highly recommend Wing Chun Kun. Then in the mid-80s, Siva Langting wrote a book called Dynamic Wing Chun, which is kind of a... It, it was meant to teach yourself Wing Chun from the comfort of your home, right? And it's basically the Hong Kong fighting program. So it teaches like the basics, like, you know, Pak Da, Fok Da, Panda, Kanda, all those kind of things, and how to use them to defend basic attacks and kicks. So it's got like, oh, like how do you defend this punch and go in, and then d techniques against kicks and elbows and knees and sweeps. It's like in 36 little lessons. And that book is really good if you really want to kind of understand the mindset of how Leung Teng Wing Chun functions in fighting, like the theory, closing the gap, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, also not fighting when it doesn't make sense, like not trying to be an idiot superhero. Like he actually has lots of very, very good stuff in that book. So I like Dynamic Wing Chun. Those are like the two I think must-haves. Um, there's a third one. It's getting harder and harder to find, which is his uh, 116 Wooden Dummy Techniques book, uh, which he co-authored with uh, Yip Chun. Um, and... Uh, Siva Langting has since come out with a new wooden dummy book. He came out with it in um, 2010. So his new wooden dummy book kind of essentially replaces that old gold-covered one, the, which had uh, Grandmaster Yip Man on the cover. Yeah. And a part of the reason is just because, you know, um, in the early times of, uh, well, I should say, post-Yip Man's death, all right? So Yip Man died in December of 72. Um, both Sifu Yipchun and Leung Teng had a, a pretty good relationship. I would say it's even more than cordial, like they were pretty close, um, eventually co-authoring this book in the early 80s. And then at some point, something happened between Sifu Leung Teng and, and Sifu Yipchun. Um, and I don't know exactly what that is. It, it, most likely, it's some, someone said something in a newspaper article in Hong Kong, and the other person got pissed. And then there's like a back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, right? <laughs> and uh, Sifu Yipchun uh, kind of very oddly changed his entire tune on Sifu Leung Teng. You know, at one point he was, you know, singing Leung Teng's praises and, and talking about, you know, that it, how much his father said he should, you know, pay attention to Leung Teng because of what Leung Teng had learned from his father. And, and that, that's a... That quote I actually have from someone who 
heard that out of Yip Chun's mouth in 1973, okay? Um, to now, Yip Chun barely knows Leung Ting exists. Uh, oh, this guy never learned from my father or whatever, right? Um, and so I want to know what happened between, in between them having kind of a honeymoon period and them, them not, all right? I would assume it was some kind of... Um, someone said something in a newspaper or whatever and someone got pissed off because that's usually how these things roll out. Um, and so as a result, uh, I think Siva Langting didn't want a wooden dummy book that simultaneously promoted Yip Chun. So he replaced it in 2010 with his own wooden dummy book and stopped printing the old one. So as a result, now the old gold cover books, so for our Wing Chun old hats listening to the podcast, those books are actually worth a lot of money now. Right. Um, if you start to look for one, you'll see it's increasingly more rare. And eBay, they're starting to go for more and more because you can't get them anymore. Yeah. And I, um, I have about four or five copies of them. Uh, because at the time that they that Siva Leung Ting stopped printing them, the local martial arts store still had five of them. <laughs> You're and, like, and, uh, and I knew where this was going, so I, I, I bought all of them. And then they even they even gave me a discount. I ended up paying eight dollars for each one. Oh snap! <laughs> yeah. Wow. And uh, I've I've seen on eBay that books going for. A, few hundred dollars already so well, there's your, uh, uh, yeah this is my retirement, retirement plan, plan right. in new york right now you know what i mean yeah i could i could pay <laughs> one quarter of one month of rent with what i you might get be able to get books. half a big toe fixed that's right exactly exactly <laughs> so um yeah so if you can get the gold book the gold one dummy book uh which is getting increasingly harder to find i would recommend getting that outside of that um siva langtang had like a big gap between books he wrote, you know, the big Wing Chun Kun in 76. Dynamic Wing Chun came out in the mid-80s, early 80s. The Wooden Dummy book also came out in the early 80s. And then he really didn't... He wrote other books, and he wrote books on other styles. Um, he even wrote his famous Skills of the Vagabonds books, which I, I'm, I actually find those books really fascinating. Uh, Siva Leung Ting's a bit of a Houdini type. Um, and what I mean is he's not an escape artist. He'll <laughs> go up and shackle him and he'll get out. Um, but uh, one thing that people don't know about Houdini is that Houdini was very uh, staunch, uh, staunchly anti, um, I suppose, faith healers. Like he was very strongly opposed to people who kind of sold quackery and snake oil and... Another Pro reason to be a fan of him. To be yeah, fair. which is great because, and I think it had something to do with his mom being sick when he was young, mm -hmm. and they went to one of these faith healers. I think one of the ones that pretends to pull the the guts out, but the, really the, the 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 faith healer already has it in his hands. Like, yeah. and I think Houdini, obviously being well versed in magic, he saw it right away. He saw that the whole thing was a con, and obviously, and I think, and I'm paraphrasing, I may be wrong on this fact, and then I think his mom passed away, mm -hmm. and that kind of instilled in him this kind of secondary campaign besides like his magic and everything and his escape artistry to debunk those kind of fraudsters. Yeah. And Siva Langting is, is also has a bit, a bit of that streak in there, which is funny because a lot of people, um, you know, they, they, they don't know that they just look at him as some Wing Chun guy, but he's really big on debunking a lot of those fake martial art tricks. Yeah. Like how people, you know, put the spear on their throat and then the thing bends. Like all, even nowadays people see that and they think this is some kind of feat of qigong or internal strength or whatever. Mm -hmm. and, uh, truth is it, it's just a trick. Now it still requires practice. It's not like, oh, if you learn the trick, anyone can do it. You still need to practice it. But it's a trick nonetheless. One thing you have to ask is how come the spear always bends down and not up? Yeah. All right. Um, and so, and he also, you know, basically uh, exposes all those things. Like, you know, the you, guy's laying on a bed of nails with a concrete slab on him and someone breaks it with a sledgehammer and he's unharmed and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Even into some kind of more magic like ninja stuff or whatever and he did two volumes of them and it's basically him debunking all of this stuff right he told me that when he was very young before he uh, started learning wing chun he had like 
let's just say an uncle. Now I don't know if this is actually like, because in, in Chinese culture, anyone who's kind of a friend of your parents is an uncle to a certain degree, right? Oh, no, that's British culture as well. Yeah, same as Cubans. Like, I, the, the number of cousins I have who are not actually related to me is ridiculous. Oh, the dinner lady. Well, yeah, well, that's your auntie Vera. And I'm just like, she serves me lunch every day at school. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he had some kind of avuncular character in his life when he was very young who took him to Temple Street in those days, which, by the way, is one of the places I will take people on the ultimate Hong Kong Kung Fu tour. Sign up. Uh, well, and on Temple Street in those days, uh, in the, I presume, the late 50s, they still had what was called Mai Mo. Mai Mo is to sell martial arts. And right. that they would have street performers who would perform these feats. And so Siva Langting told me that when he was young, he had someone in his life who kind of showed him how all of that was bullshit. And to also taught him magic. He said this was his Sifu in magic, who also exposed to him like all the Kung Fu fakery stuff. So Sifu Lerngting put that stuff in a book. Now, while it's not Wing Chun, I think, still think it's very interesting. Now, mind you, it's written in the 90s. It's written in, a, in like the, it's kind of written in a comic, like the, it's illustrated in a comic book kind of way. Right. And it's, it's, it's not written like a serious uh, research book, but the, it's got really good stuff in there. So I would recommend both of the Skills of the Vagabonds uh, books. There's also some cool magic tricks in there if you're into that kind of thing. And then he didn't really start writing Wing Chun books again until the very late 90s, early 2000s when he came out with Roots of Wing Chun. And Roots of Wing Chun is his attempt to kind of uh, tackle the whole what is the real history of Wing Chun. Right. And he's got some really good stuff in there, debunking the whole Bodhidharma founded Shaolin bullshit and um, or that, you know, somehow an Indian monk brought breathing exercises to monks and from that sprang Kung Fu. Right. Um, even the story doesn't smell right when you say it. Um, and uh, by the way, every, every time I kind of bring up the whole Shaolin temple thing, everyone always tells me to read um, Mayor Shahar's book called The Shaolin Monastery, which is, I guess, one of the main uh, two books that are academic research books about Chinese martial arts. Right. And um, I, I actually had the book and I scanned it once a long time ago and it just like, because um, I'm not like that much of a Shaolin nerd. So I was like, I'll, I'll get to it because I just have this constant mounting of books that I need to get to. And uh, I read the other the other one, Peter Lorge's Chinese martial art books, which I enjoyed very, uh, it's called uh, The Chinese Martial Arts, very well researched, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. I'd also explained a lot about the supposed internal-external dichotomy and how there's actually a little bit of racism involved in that dichotomy, yeah. to, to put it in a very 2023 lens, because uh, Buddhist martial arts, well, Buddha, where does Buddhism come from? It comes from India. Right. So there was, within Chinese martial arts culture, a bit of the idea to downplay those Buddhist martial arts as being foreign. Right. And external. And Interesting. And not as refined. Yeah. But the, you know, um, in-house stuff, the stuff that came from Taoism, that came from their own indigenous philosophy, that was internal and much more intricate and much more intelligent uh -huh. so um so that is also one of the justific or one of the explanations as to where this split came about and why within chinese martial arts circles external martial arts is somewhat stigmatized right you know an internal is so much more superior right that's why you see flocks of tai chi guys just knocking out mma guys uh, you know I'm, what I'm, I mean? I'm a fan of jing yi exactly <laughs> so um yeah i love internal martial arts but i just find that within the internal martial arts community there tends to be a louder mouth about what they can do which seems very disproportionate from the amount of live sparring they do outside of anything that looks like push hands or something like that that's funny i did actually do i've told you about this i did a jing yi class once and um we were i mean i could spend half an hour of this podcast discussing about how you were completely right about how everything played out with the Sifu. Right. Because it was hilarious. Like, uh -huh. like I couldn't have already seen that through common sense, but it was really funny to see in real time. Right. But one of the first things he said, going back to what we were talking about, about like kind of like the, you know, like the tricks with the, 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 the sticks. The spear on the spear throat. Yeah. And all this kind mm -hmm. of stuff. One of the very first things he showed me, he was just like, yeah, so what we do is that we have our hands like this, uh -huh. right? 
And I'm just, and me, I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. just, the street gang. fighter goes, well, five things I could break really fast. <laughs> Get gang, I'm having a fit. And I'm like, uh-huh. It's like, yeah, because the thing is, when you have the internal, right, you know, you do this. And when you do that, you can't break the fingers. And I would just was like, I have to show respect. Because right. I just wanted to be like, but what if I went over and went... <laughs> <laughs> well, what if you just grabbed it and bent it back the other way? Yeah, like, I was just like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fingers so, fingers are, are not... Are, fingers are quite fragile in that mm-hmm. way there. No oh, no, no, but if practice. you have it like this and you just, like, you know, show it, like, mm-hmm. there, you can't break. Because when yeah. you come in like that, that's a thing. I had a, I had a buddy in uh, uh, middle not, high school who was really into iron palm training, and he would do that shit like crazy. <laughs> and, uh, and his hand was super gnarly, and he could break shit, and he was like super proud, and he would show us. And then he later quit Chinese martial arts and got into kickboxing, and in his first kickboxing match, he broke his hand. Oh, for f- yeah. Yeah, I was about to quit. Yeah, and he's like, all right, so like, oh, I guess then, you know, your iron palm training really didn't, didn't really do much, right? <laughs> uh, all the time that you take to bust up your hand and potentially give you arthritis <laughs> in the future only to have a hand that still breaks in a fight uh, just seems like not the best use of your time, right? Science. Yes, science and stuff. So um, the Roots of Wing Chun book was interesting. He's got some good stuff in there. Uh, oh, by the way, so what I was saying is I, I, I started officially reading Mayor Shahar, Shahar's book. Right. Um, but because it's a serious research book um i'm not just reading it straight through cover to cover i do whenever i read a book that's like about history or about you know where there's lots of numbers and dates and facts and stuff then every paragraph i read i summarize it in one sentence so i read a paragraph summarize it in one sentence read a paragraph so in the margins i have a summary of every single paragraph which i can go back and scan and it allows me to remember the entire pa- uh, passage so much easier right. so i'm doing that so now i'm already halfway through because actually i didn't realize how fascinating the book was the book is really interesting he definitely does his due diligence in terms of getting sources and everything which you expect from a research book but um, I haven't gotten to the end yet, so I don't know if he's going to have this whopping conclusion where he goes, all right, so all of that is bullshit. Um, because so far what I've read seems like he doesn't push back on any of the stuff that's most ridiculous about the, te- the Shaolin Temple story. Right. Because just, just so you know, all right, and I know this is going off track a little bit to the Leung Tang book question, um, but we did that recent episode on history and people did appreciate it and I am now reading that other book as a result to make sure that I'm not missing the most um, researched book ever written on the Shaolin Temple right Um, but uh, I read a lot of history okay outside of martial arts right and I also read a lot about how history is supposed to be recorded and what proper methods are for historical researchers and um, what I so I, I, I can't really comment on the book because I haven't finished it. Right. Um, but being halfway through, he seems to sort or to source Shaolin scriptures and internal scriptures as source material for historical stuff. And you can't do that. If, yeah. if, if you're looking if something really happened in history, you have to find contemporary accounts that say, yeah, this fight happened at Shaolin and this is coming from the the government records reporting on that. But it's like, yeah, in Shaolin, there's a painting that showed the Shaolin warrior monks fighting off all of these guys. So there's a painting in their own temple that shows all of these myths and legends. Okay, what about, where's the external source that verifies that? Otherwise, you're literally taking their own internal propaganda and saying it happened because there's a painting in the Shaolin temple that said it happened. Right. And I'm going, that's kind of weak. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the whole Bodhidharma thing, you know, Bodhidharma comes from in India and he's essentially, well, some say he's the founder of Zen Buddhism. Some say he's just someone who brought Zen Buddhism. All right. So th- that's like, that's still up for debate. But he brings Zen Buddhism to these monks and then teaches them some breathing exercises so that they can meditate longer. And then from that comes Shaolin staff fighting. Like, like, like 
it's a non sequitur. Like, like when you, it's like, so then he taught these monks uh, better breathing techniques for their meditation. Mm -hmm. And thus, and then it's like, and thus Shaolin Kung Fu was born. You know, and I'm not saying he wrote it in the book. That's the normal story. But right. the thing is, when you read the book, it, it doesn't read any different. Right. And you go, what? That's the part where the record goes, <laughs> how do you go from, you know, these techniques of mindfulness and learning, you know, how to deal with your sense, you know, your sensory perception of the world and, you know, trying to take away this division between how you see the world mm -hmm. and how you want to see it and how it actually is, which yeah. is the whole process of this kind of mindful introspection, right? Mm -hmm. Take away that first layer. Stop looking at the world through symbols and how you want it to be and look at it as it is. And that kind of to, in a very simple way, is what it means to be enlightened, to have that that one illusion taken away from you and you just see what is. And now we're beating each other with sticks. Like, like so the, th the thing is, it's like, and, and I know I mean, for people who've read it, I, it, I'm not saying that's exactly what he said, but then eventually staff fighting came in and all this stuff. And, but the evidence he always suggests always comes from within. And some of the other books that attest to the Shaolin monks, it's, it's not corroborating what they're saying themselves right and it, it it and then there's a bodhidharma's legend grows over the hundreds of years after he dies yeah and it's very clear you can see this kind of bullshit story in the making mm -hmm. and um you know he was just a monk who came and then he left and then now he resurrected uh, uh yeah by by uh so bodhidharma's like let's say in the Five six hundred AD time period, but by twelve hundreds, about six hundred years later, now that dude is resurrecting. You know, and 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 then it's like, and then he's carrying the one shoe, and the other shoe is in the tomb, and then it's like, and and then he just puts that in there, like, yeah, this is like what they say, and then you're like, okay, well now if we're gonna go to supernatural shit, now you need twice the amount of corroborating evidence if you want me to believe that. So at least four or five times. Yeah, <laughs> and, 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 it's, it, and there's no pushback on that. Yeah. And, and, or like him ascending or doing all these kind of, or like the monk cutting off of his arm to prove his loyalty. It's like all of these things happen in the, these stories came out 100 years afterwards. Right. And then you, you start to see this how the sausage of everything that's made. Look at like Roswell, all right? Like what is Roswell? Some dude found some tinfoil and sticks in the desert and now it was an alien ship with aliens in it that they're now hiding at area 50 foot and it's like come on like this happened within recent history and you can already see that there are cults of roswell and this is something that happened in our own history we know that it's bullshit we know that that's not what they found yeah even if you look at something like um uh lincoln all right. So when Lincoln died, it was already in the time of uh, photography and Lincoln was very well photographed. It was in the time before audio recording. But at that time, they had really good stenographers to record what people were saying. When Lincoln was shot and died, he was recorded at someone who was there by the name of Seward. I forget what his name was. Of, or maybe someone in his cabinet or a reporter or something like that said, uh, he's now with the angels and there's an entire contingency that's not what Seward said he said he's now of the ages and you have to imagine this is something that happened in recent history yeah and they can't even agree on that and yet 1500 years ago we now have to take it on faith that this dude resurrected and did all this stuff because of paintings in the Shaolin Temple. So I'm hoping that later in the book, he kind of goes, all right, so everything I was talking about, that's what the myth is. Here's my conclusion. Like, none of this shit happened, all right? <laughs> um, if, if, yeah. if he comes to that at the end, or just say, if it happened, there's no real evidence for it, then I will go, okay. So he, he laid out the whole story and where it came from, but then at the end, he basically says, look, all right, this is a bunch of nonsense. Um, so I have to reserve judgment on the book until I get to the end because there, the, you got to see my notes on this thing. I'm actually thinking when I'm done reading it, I'll do maybe two episodes about it because I, I'll, I have notes and I'm just going to go like, look, this is why me as a, and look, I'm not a professional historian. So right. putting my, 
you know, putting my opinion and throwing my hat in doesn't mean shit because I'm not qualified for it. But I am someone who teaches martial arts for a living. I have read lots of these type of books. And I also read a lot about mm, problematic histories, you know, uh, stuff from the Mongols, stuff from uh, ancient times and bronze and Iron Age books of religions and stuff. And they have all the same problems. And so I'm not unversed on the topic of what constitutes evidence and what is just a bunch of dudes saying shit. Mm -hmm. And so far in this very academic book about the Shaolin Temple, it just sounds like he's just quoting all the fantastic shit and then just not pushing back on any of it and just saying, well, this fantastic shit must have happened because I got it from this book that said it happened. Right. Um, including, I'm not even sure Bodhidharma was a real person. I think that he, there's some, there's some attestation issues with this guy here. Well, you know what, that, that, that you've, it just suddenly occurred to me as you were um, saying that, like, that's what Christianity is missing. A martial art. <laughs> yeah. Im- something, something else to bind them together. Right? Just imagine though. I mean, like, yeah. it's like the biggest, it, it's arguably still like the biggest religion in the world. It is. Right. Um, and literally the story is essentially the same when you're talking about resurrection and all this kind of yes, stuff. Yes, yes. Just add a martial art into there. And it's perfect. I tell you what, everyone is flocking way back. That's right. That's right. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, and, and now I'm thinking about it way too much. Yeah. It's not something I actually want. Yeah. But I think that's what Well, it's I mean, missing. Jesus was a Jew, so it would have to be some type of Krav Maga. <laughs> <laughs> now, you see, when you say that, it just reminds me of that episode of The Simpsons when, um, what's it, like, uh, Marge is, uh, like, the guy, that, like, he's some kind of alternative universe thing where she's married to this guy, Artie, whatever it is. Oh, right, name. he's, like, infatuated with her yeah. or something, right? and he has been infatuated since, again, and, 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 like, Homer comes around to, like, try and take her back and... He's like, oh yeah, I'm 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 well versed in the uh, skills of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Let me lay down on the floor. <laughs> yeah, and now get it between my legs or something like that, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's see, that's what I think about. Right. So, you know, along uh, with all the Smurfs so, theme tunes. So anyway, back to the question. Uh, Roots of Wing Chun book is interesting, but only if you're really interested in the history stuff. There is some stuff in Siva Langting's Roots of Wing Chun book that is not true, and he does say some untrue and unkind things about some of the other Wing Chun lineages. I'm not talking about Yip Man lineages, although he does take aim at his former teacher in there. I mean, like some of the mainland Chinese Wing Chun styles, he tends to kind of shit on their historical accounts, although he might have reason to do it, but it, it, it doesn't come off as very scholarly the way he, he, you can see he really, and look, I'm a Yip Man and Leung Teng Wing Chun follower, right? So I, that's my jam. That's my line. But uh, just if I can pull myself out of my own identity as a Wing Chun practitioner in the Yip Man Leung Ting line, uh, I would look at the book and go like, yeah, but he's, he's, he's really not being nice to anyone else but our people. <laughs> like, and I can, see, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that, right? And so I don't think that that really has any place in a book that's supposed to be like an even-handed scholarly research. So uh, you might want to skip Roots of Wing Chun unless you are really morbidly fascinated with that stuff. And then later in the 2000s, he started to write books on the forms again, uh, but individual books. So a book on Siurum Tao, a book on Chamki, a book on Biuji, and then in 2010, his new revised version of the Wooden Dummy book. And they're not very, um, they're not very long. Like so hun- they're not, not as detailed as yours. Not as detailed as mine. His, his, his Siurum Tao books, like a hundred and some page. My Siurum Tao book is like, pff, is the one that can eat his Siurum Tao book, right? Uh, so yeah, but I mean, those are pretty good too and they're pretty cheap. So if you're practicing the art, I think you should get those. I've actually gone back and forth about thinking, also including them. I used to sell them in our pro shop when I was a representative of Lion Tang. And now of course I wrote my own books. I sell my own books, but I was also thinking I could also sell some of his books here too. Mm -hmm. Might as well make money off my former teacher. (laughs) So, uh, before we, before we leave this one, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not asking you to call anybody out. Because oh, that would be very, very unprofessional. And uh-huh. and very frankly, British of you. Yeah, yeah. Frank, frankly, that's not what we do. You're right. It is. No, I'm kidding. Um, you said to read all the Wing Chun books at the very beginning of the question three years ago. Um, but really, honestly, <laughs> honestly, all the books? Like, because, like, let's be honest here. Like, just without, again, calling anybody out, there's some charlatans on the net that might have read, written books. 
So do you would, yeah. would you suggest well, like well when it comes to charlatans usually charlatans uh, don't have the bandwidth to write a book <laughs> to, to put their kind of nonsense down. Right. But even then, um, it's still I no I still read that stuff, mm-hmm. dude. I have I've ninja books by Ashita Kim. He was like the fakest of all the fakes. How dare you? How but dare you? I don't just have his ninja books. I have the books where he purports to talk about the time when he was a secret uh, agent. They're the ones that are essentially romance novels. No, they right? are. Yeah, it's, it's called <laughs> The Amorous Adventures of Ashida Kim. God. And it's I have to read it. ridiculously yeah, I funny. Back in the day, you know, uh, one of my... Um, very early students, uh, Mike Yan, who later became a Sifu under me um, way back in the IWTA days. He basically came up with Nicole. He was also an actor. Now he's a, he's a big stuntman and mm-hmm. you know, Avengers Endgame, all that kind of stuff. And uh, he, you know, when he was training with me, he, he, at first he was finishing up at NYU studying acting. So, you know, he did Shakespeare. He did all that stuff, act, stage, act, all that kind of stuff. And when I got Amorous Adventures of Ashita Kim, he used to like do readings of it as if it was like <laughs> some kind of Shakespearean oh art. God. And then I put my jade stem in her, like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Maybe, maybe we should... Maybe we should, KFG should do a reading of the amorous adventures well, of Ashita Kim. Well, you know, funny enough, just I'm going to promote myself for a second. I'm actually dipping my hands back into a, um, some theater myself or feet, whatever you want to do it. Right? Dipping, I mean, dipping something I'm into dipping it. Dipping something right? in there. And doing like a, an online play reading in mid-May. So if you want me to do the uh, Shakespearean version of the amorous adventures of Ashita totally Kim. That. We will happily do that for the, some ten-minute shorts or something. That's amazing. No, no, I, I, th- there is a lot of um, uh, social media potential with like turn like um, turning passages of that book into like, like acting them out. Mm-hmm. At the very beginning, first of all, the book is like printed in his basement, and it's like stapled together. It's like <laughs> it's like a full sheet of paper folded in half, stapled in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. And w- at the very beginning, you know, where you normally have the disclaimer. Um, he has a disclaimer there, and he goes like, "It's the funniest disclaimer." And of course, I'm paraphrasing. I haven't opened that book in many years, but it's like, um, the names of the innocent were not changed in this book because no one was innocent. <laughs> <laughs> and you're yes. reading this, you're like, "Oh my god, this is like." Printed in in like the early two thousands on like an inkjet printer and stapled. And this is hysterical. This is hysterical. And I think when I, I ordered two books from him, I think, um, and obviously it's like from whatever backwater town in in Florida he lives yeah, in, yeah, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think he signed them for me. Like I didn't ask for them. So I'm like, I have a sheet of Kim's signature on this. Fantastic. Like, yeah. Well, Gavin, whatever his name, actual real name is. You know yeah, I, mean? I don't I don't know, but you know, he's got a half Japanese, half Korean name and he's a white guy that's already quite sus. Yes. Um, so no, I, I, there, I even bought a Wing Chun book on Amazon, which was like, it, it had a fake author. It was like some. It was like a book that was just meant to kind of sell an online program. Uh-huh. It was like the chain punching program, and it was made up by some fake. Like the the author's name was fake, and I suspect it was actually a WT guy, and I suspect I know who it is. And it was just like a super basic, nothing special, eighty page book on chain punching. Yeah, you know, written by someone with a fake. I read that book. I just because now I know that book exists. Right. So so yeah, I really do read even pretty ridiculous stuff. I have a bunch of books in Chinese on, uh, like Chinese Wing Chun books. Mm-hmm. I even have a couple in simplified characters and I can't even start with simplified characters, but I still have them. The pictures yeah. are in English. I read, <laughs> I read the pictures all the time. Uh, on top of the forms books, Eva Lerengteng also wrote some books on the Chi Sao program. And I mean, it all depends on how into the program you are. Right. Um, I'm, you know, I'm a kind of collect them all kind of guy. So uh, no, no, yeah. no, no, that makes sense. You should see my record collection. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, All right. So okay. what else we got? What else do we got? Well, uh, great question, Jonathan Martinez. Thank right. you very much. Sorry we paraphrased it. Hey, Kung Fu Genius fans. If you like what we do here, please consider supporting us on Patreon. For as little as five bucks a month, you'll get early access to episodes and other goodies not posted on the Kung Fu Genius channel. With higher levels of support, you can get your name in the description, a live chat with me, or at the baller level, you even get your own personal KFG episode with me as my guest. The link to our Patreon page is in the description 
description of this episode below. Patreons have a direct link to chat with me and get first dibs on any questions for Ask Me Anything episodes. Click on the link in the description for our Patreon page for more information, and I'll see you on Patreon. So, um, oh, let's go over this one. This looks good. Um, <laughs> wow. You know what? Anytime you or Dre have this like, oh, well, this looks like, I'm, I immediately am, I'm like, I know something's bad's about to happen. No, no, no. You're quite safe with this one. It's actually a, a great friend of the podcast, Sifu Brian Cuttle. Oh, ne- excellent. Yeah. Um, yo, KG. Apparently he missed the F. I'm guessing maybe it was a typo. Kung genius. I get your F right here. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Excuse me. Thanks again for the shout out and as always insightful answers. You've got me thinking now about a docu-series about Bruce. Do you think they could make an entire season based only on the book The Death of Bruce Lee? Would it actually pull an audience or get brushed aside like Bruce Lee, my brother? Also, you've given me inspiration for my new school name. Rural Township, Red Dragon Fighting, Golden Tiger Fist and Black Crane Kicks, a Green Snake Kung Fu Academy School of Traditional Martial Arts Fist Methods and Cultural Center. And dear God, he's actually put the acronym here, which is amazing, in parentheses. See, I got it this time. This uh, R-T-R-D-F-G-T-B-C-K-G-S-K-F-A-S-T, so fast, M-A-F-T-C-C. <laughs> I, th- I thought it, I thought the acronym was going to be something like you know like ridiculous like it would actually spell a word or something like that. Yeah, I feel like he, that's the bit that he kind of just that's where he checked out on it because I think what you could do is just put like little uh, when acronyms don't co- often work they they add like little like uh, lowercase letters to kind uh-huh. of make a whole word and right. I mean I'm not sure how he'd do that but maybe he would. Oh, and also thanks as always to KFG, Dre, Mikey, and Andrew. Can't wait for the next episode. Yo, thank you, thank you, thank you. So um, let me see here. Uh, a docu-series based on the death of Bruce Lee. Well, I mean, uh, uh, there are... And anytime you do anything with Bruce Lee, you're, you have... A, there's always a fan base there that's going to eat that up, regardless of whether it's pro-Bruce Lee or neutral or even a little against. You're just going to... You always have a built-in audience, whether that should be made or not. See, like in my own fantasy world where I, I have that idea like, yeah, someone is going to do a truthful uh, docu-series on the death of Bruce Lee, including like the May 10th event. Basically, tell us everything that happened from the beginning of 1973 until he dies in July. That would be a docu-series, kind of like the decline of Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. But I just don't know between like having to fight the Lee estate, you know, because you'd be trying to produce something that is like kind of put maybe puts him in a negative light. Although, I, I, you know, I don't really see, you know, someone who's struggling with fame and stardom and, and a bit of a drug issue. I don't see that as being like there's no value judgment for that. When, when you talk about that, some people are like, oh, he's saying he's a bad guy. No. See, he was a 32-year-old stud of a human being who was on top of his game, who suddenly got all of this fame that he had been looking for his entire life thrown on him very, very, very quickly. And he was enabled by a lot of the people around him. And I don't know many 32-year-olds who would pass that test with perfect integrity and flying colors, you know? Yeah. Um, If I was gifted that level of success suddenly... By age 30, um, who knows what kind of monster I would have turned into, right? It's just so easy to be like, yeah, we did this and you did that. It's like, you can't say any of that stuff unless you've been in that exact situation. And there are very few people that have cultivated their hobby or their life's passion to such a degree that by the age of 30, they suddenly get publicly heralded for to such a degree that they become an iconic star with all of the trappings of being famous. Even Sterling Silifans, who was a famous screenwriter, Bruce Lee student, um, said, you know, there was nothing about Bruce Lee's hubris or arrogance or inability to handle being a celebrity that another two or three years wouldn't have fixed. Yeah. It just, he was at the beginning of that, you know? Mm-hmm. When a celebrity becomes famous, and the thing they 
shit can go a little off the rails. And then if they're able to overcome that, it's like the first test. Yeah. And then they stabilize and then they become like a normal person in that ecosystem as normal as you can be, right? Bruce never had the chance to pass that test. He failed the first test, which many people do. Yeah. So I, I don't see that as being a value judgment because people go, oh, Bruce Lee was so philosophical, was so deep and introspective about martial arts. Therefore, there seems to be a mismatch with his level of being to a certain degree a public intellectual about martial arts and then but then just being such a dude in his private life yeah and i think that that's the mismatch that people have a real difficulty reconciling that people are complicated you can be an absolute um you know stud in your field of expertise you can be an absolute intellectual with all the arguments and you, you know you know how to handle and, and explain everything perfectly in an erudite fashion and still have a penchant for partying and all sorts of wild stuff, all mm -hmm. right? Um, and I, I, I see that as being kind of normal, especially for someone his age. And everyone, they don't like it because of the view of a martial arts master being someone who's in control of every aspect of themselves. And... Uh, you know, you know yes. I'm gonna say you sorry to interrupt. You know what it is though? It's like for something like that, that's not really the audience. Because right. because the thing about it is is that we're not the demographic that that's headed towards. Like because they'll 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 promote it as us being the demographic we can right. finally see, you know, the last like from the seventy three hour like that, you know, but it turns into something like the OJ Simpson trial or like right. the death of um was it like Versace. Uh, Versace, right? Yeah, yeah. Like where it's like, oh, this is like dramatizations written on you know uh, conversations and stuff across like however many months and everything right, right right that's for your casual observers that's for your beardy listeners yeah, yeah because yeah. they're the ones that are going to watch it and go this is amazing like and the sad thing to say especially with something like this is that with anything right the amount of people that are like such so like kind of nerdy and like um like so invested in this person right right it, we're in a minority Really, yeah. you yeah. know what I mean? Like we can scream and bitch about it on Twitter about how like it's so terrible and blah, blah, blah. Right. But you know, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a great example of that, right? Yeah. We know like Tarantino clowned Bruce Lee in a pretty terrible kind of way, right? right? The majority of people are going to have looked at that and go, wow, I never knew this happened, even though the yeah, film itself is a dramatization of something right. that never happened, right? right. You exactly. know what I mean? Exactly. And you know, when all's said and done, they're the ones that are spending the money. Yeah, and and that's what makes it sad, which is why you and I can pontificate about how like you know like we shouldn't do this, but someone might come up with it. Yeah, and Shannon, I'm sure, will sign off on it. No, I don't think she. Shannon won't sign off on anything really about her father's death. Right. You know. Or oh any, yeah, of course she yeah, won't because no. then or then anything that even even has a slight allusion to uh, his affairs or anything like right. that. I mean, just look. Um. You know, I can't mention who, but like they're, they're, they're biographers that I know that, you know, when they write a biography about Bruce Lee and the Lee estate is kind of on board-ish until that biographer goes, yeah, I'm also going to interview Betty. And then they're like, okay, we can't endorse your project. That's crazy. So um, all these years later, it's like, we really going to pretend that uh, this didn't happen or like that Bruce was some kind of saint and why? Um you know, why does everything have to be looked through like a, a 2023 lens or something like that? Um, and also, why does the fact that, you know, he was kind of a, a bit of a wild child who, you know, lived that kind of 60s, 70s lifestyle in the 60s and 70s? Mm -hmm. um, why does this not do anything but just make him seem like a dude? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like oh, he, he was on, on top of being this awesome mind in martial arts and physically gifted and working really hard and all that kind of stuff. Um, he was also like a dude, like if you hung out with him, you'd probably get along with him. Uh, and, and it just, that particular dichotomy just doesn't sit well with the Lee estate and doesn't sit well with a lot of the Bruce Lee fans. They don't right. want, they want him to be some Taoist sage and essentially they want to take away the one thing that humanizes him. The fact that he did have faults, that he had a temper, that he had this, that he had that. And everyone's so quick to go like, nah, Bruce Lee shouldn't have this. It's like, dude, you're, you're angrily commenting on YouTube about how someone ought to behave. Like, stop, right. stop, okay? 
Um, it's, it's, it's kind of, kind of ridiculous. And so I think that the, it's just weird that the one thing that humanizes Bruce Lee, uh, his faults, yeah, would be the one thing that would make him more accessible to regular people that despite the fact that he had these faults, he was still able to accomplish so much. But the Lee estate and the delusional fanboys want to excise anything about Bruce Lee remotely human and remotely relatable. Like we should only worship this guy because he's like a God cut from something different than we're cut from. Instead of he's a dude just like the rest of us. And despite that, he still accomplished all these things. And that's why we should look at him as someone to revere. Right. Um, but no, they, they want to remove his humanity and make him this kind of person that no one can relate to because he's perfect. Well, that was great. Um, you know, I, I'm sure my facial expressions really showed that at the end of yes, the question. I'm sure. I'm sure they did too. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I hope that that didn't get missed for any reason, like say no. my phone didn't run, run out of space. No, no, no. no, no, no Why no. is your phone always running out of space? That's what I want to know. <laughs> because I'm hood, man. I don't, right. I don't have a big phone. 64 gigs. <laughs> my daughters were giving you a hard time for having a phone that only has 64 gigs. Yeah, there's nothing worse than being roasted by a 10-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> and then being correct it's yes. really really bad anyway um so yeah let's uh we got time for one more right sounds good okay jp steve shanahan because i don't do the dre thing <laughs> no one does the dre thing not even dre <laughs> <laughs> absolutely sifu because there is an exclamation mark right another question for your next q a session one thing i always wondered are martial arts instructors bound to get rusty if they focus primarily on teaching students as opposed to consistently training with other practitioners that are more or less on their level to keep their technique sharp? Any mm. idea? No, I don't have any idea about this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, uh, uh, it's a great question. But again, it, it's uh, uh, the difficulty with some of these questions is that they, they make a kind of a tacit assumption that like, uh, that it's a binary choice. You are either teaching and getting rusty or you are training and not getting rusty. And that's kind of a binary proposition in terms of like, the, those are not the only two choices on the spectrum. So you can be very involved in teaching and still also be training on the side and improving your skills. Like that, that is... I don't think that it is one or the other. For sure, there are sifus or senseis or teachers of various martial arts styles who focus so much on training that their own training tends to lag a little bit, right? And it's also possible that that, that also comes in ebbs and flows. I mean, there are times in my teaching tenure since I started City Wing Chun in 2002 where, yeah, I was way more focused on teaching than I was on cultivating the skills that I was learning as an instructor, like the more advanced stuff, because, well, you have to focus on the students, right? And then there are other times, especially once I got more assistance, where I was able to come back to focus on my training a little bit more. But that's always kind of in ebbs and flows. And I think that if you're a, an instructor who values you know, your own training and you want to be a good example to your students, that you will also then find the time for your own training uh, because that is setting a good example for the students. Also, in a martial art like Wing Chun, uh, you do a lot of your training with your own students, and you do cheese out with them, you have them come and attack you, you have them try to resist you, so you can show them how this stuff works. So um, the idea that the Sifu is just standing up there with folded arms and not, not rolling up their sleeves and, and getting their, their hands dirty is, is also, I, I think, a, a bit of a false picture of like a Wing Chun instructor. Mm, but I don't know if that's what he's kind of going for, because mm -hmm. this is something that I've actually thought about in our classes when I you know when we talked about it or you talked about it in class and that is it's not actually necessarily saying that it's not binary in the f sense that you're not training right right but it's possibly an extreme scenario so you get up to a point where you're like now like kind of like level three level four level five right in somewhere else where you're able to train with those kind of practitioners mm -hmm. and then you move to New York and right. you're suddenly like the new instructor, and of yeah. course you were actually like a little lower at this point, but you were still like high up at that point. And you don't have anyone to train with in New York. So you're training new people, as you always would say, I'm training, I'm training, training partners, right? So you yes. want to get them up to a level so you can actually right. start doing everything. Right. Right. But 
if say for example you only get to say do two seminars a year in Hong Kong uh-huh. or like go up to see Carson Lau in right. like Toronto and right. stuff right in that respect you're still training but yes. you are not training with someone at your level because you're teaching someone at your level so yes so no I, I, I understand that except that the most important stuff to be good at in Wing Chun is all the foundational stuff. Right. So, yeah, would it be cool to have someone to do, all, you know, at that time? I mean, now I have students at all. I have students who are learning knives and pole and all that stuff. So I can, I can train all those things with my students who have learned it. Uh, now, but back then, yeah, I mean, it would have been nicer to have more people around that I could do the Buji stuff with when I was learning it or the wooden dummy stuff that I was learning with or learning at that time. But between all the seminars that I had here at City Wing Chun, I had Sifu Larrington coming twice a year, I had Sifu Carson Lau coming twice a year. And because it's New York, I constantly had visitors coming right. who are from Europe who are yeah, already yeah. my level even higher. So I had a regular influx of people coming in who are way better than me right. and who would train with me throughout that entire period. So that it wasn't a matter of uh, I didn't have access to it. I did. And actually, it, was, it came in really good intervals because I was teaching all the time. And think about it. If twice a year, Sifu Larrington would come and twice a year, Sifu Carson Lau would come. So it's like every couple months I had someone here who was way better than me training me and, and, and learning from. Uh, on, on, and the other thing, too, is the most important stuff in Wing Chun is the beginning level stuff. As nice as it is to be able to do Buji and Qigong and Dummy and Pole and all that kind of stuff, um, it's way more important to, like, I don't know, stop someone from murdering your face with a punch. Right. And that you can do with your own students. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, and I think that it's 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 a bit of a fallacy to think that uh, if you don't have the ability to train all the advanced stuff all the time, that that somehow is going to impede or retard your progress in Wing Chun. I go, well, not if you view Wing Chun as a mechanism by which you defend all sorts of different types of attacks, especially non-Wing Chun stuff, because that stuff you build into the culture of your school. You know, I mean, the you know when I ask my students, like, come on, try give me a kick. I'll show you how this thing works. So try kick me higher. Come on, come come in. You encourage them to do all this stuff. Okay, try to punch me. Try to grab. You know, when you grab my arms, don't you know, don't let me off so easily, so you can really show them. That's actually where you're really getting good because now you're using the everyday skills. Uh, to demonstrate it to someone off the street, to demonstrate it to your students, to to show them how this really works under resistance, yeah. And uh, you know, having to do a crossover popai from Wooden Dummy Six because the guy gave you a uh, horizontal style lapsa or whatever into the popai footwork with the ghost hand or whatever is not the most high percentage thing. All right. <laughs> um, and at some point, you will have enough people to train that stuff with. So um, I, I I get the question sentiment, but in practical application uh any good instructor is going to find ample opportunity to train their own stuff if they know what they're doing and if they know how to train with their students right Mm -hmm. okay cool yep right so see if we could uh squeeze one more squeeze one more in you know what i mean um ooh lil jacama i don't know um could you make a video asking the ai chatbot chat GPT stuff about Bruce Lee and then analyze its accuracy and truthfulness. I've tried this and it seems to output some misinformation. Uh, yeah, that would be a great idea. Actually, um, we should do a chat GPT episode. Yeah, that would be cool. Where um, what we can do is we can have the audience uh, ask a bunch of questions that they want me to ask the chat GPT and then I'll, we'll ask it in real time. And I'll see if the information is up to snuff or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting. I put, I asked like, uh, you know, who is Sifu Alex Richter? And it was like, Sifu Alex Richter is a Wing Chun instructor in the Lang Tang line. Da-da. And everything was fine. And then there was this line like, he is the founder of, and then it, it was like the Bamboo Forest Wing Chun Association. <laughs> and I was like, What? <laughs> Yeah, like it was, it was like all fine. And then there's like this one throwaway line at the end where you're like, huh? What is that? Wow. <laughs> like, where does that even come from? Because it, it's not like, it's not like a mistake that is somehow reasonable. Like I used to be part of the Bamboo Forest something yeah. Wing Chun Club, right? Or I taught a high profile student of the Wing, of the bit, so that somehow you could see where like the AI would have gotten this name misinterpreted from something else right but it's just like whole 
wholesale, whole cloth, like made up nonsense. And I'm like, what? Like, where did that even come from? Right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, interesting. Maybe we can do an episode like that if you guys have questions that you want me to ask ChatGPT uh, live, and then I'll see like you know if the answers are up to snuff. Um, my suggestion is don't try to do it. Like don't ask the question yourself because every time you ask it, it'll give you a different answer. Yeah. So like whatever answer it gives you is not necessarily the answer it would give me live on air. So go ahead and write in the comments below and put in the comment chat GPT so that we know that that's what you're talking about. If we lo if I have at least like four or five questions, I'm sure we can do a whole episode on that. So yeah. I, I would look forward to doing that. So uh, yeah, great idea. Great suge suggestion. We can definitely do that. And that's all I got to say about that. All right, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of The Kung Fu Genius. As always, don't forget to subscribe to The Kung Fu Genius. Hit that bell for notifications. And if you have any questions for a future episode of The Kung Fu Genius, put them in the comments below. And if you have a chat GPT question, go ahead and write chat GPT in the comment and put in your question there for that episode. And as always, I'll see you guys next time. Word is I'm a kung fu genius Technique speaks for me, not lineage Forget Jet Li, cause I'm the one Many call me Sifu, but to you I'm Seagung And I produce masters You surpassed us, your kung fu stiffer than corpse and caskets City Wing Chung is the house I built Violate the gate and your blood gets spilt Alex Richter, always the victor Alright, here we go, we're recording audio? Yes we are Alright, one, two, three, Alright, never <laughs> Except Never let me ones, slip We don't talk about that <laughs> If I slip, then I'm slipping all right. It's all right. Andrew Lynn had it multiple times. Okay. <laughs> Here sorry. we go. I'd like to say I'm sorry, Andrew, but I'm yes. not because I'm a terrible human being. <clears throat> okay, cool. Lots of gems. Lots of... Lots of Shaolin resurrections. <laughs> Shaolin erections. All right, peeps. On today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of... Oh, my God. Arsering? Arsering? The f Ossering's uh, a that sounds like a British word. It's a massively it's yeah. it's a it's, it's a British it's word like to now. be assing around. <laughs> I was actually no, it's probably something pornographic. Yeah. <laughs>